0: You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, November 18th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock.
1: And I'm Ellie Shannon.
0: And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, I discuss how the Pride Resource Center is moving online and give details on the wildfire in Estes Park.
0: After that, I give new updates on COVID-19 statistics, and then we hear from the International Local Music Exchange about local music in North Carolina.
1: Then, Coda tells us about the Biden administration's climate actions, and we hear about the rules of baseball and painting the corners with Anton Schindler.
0: After that, Eliza Droter tells us all about what's happening in CSU's athletics.
1: To conclude today's show, Coda explains how Apple is rolling out plans to let users repair their own devices with certified parts.
0: Let's move right into campus and local news.
1: This is Ellie Shannon with your campus and local news for the Rocky Mountain Review. Beginning on November 17th, the Pride Resource Center at Colorado State University will be moving their services to online only. Amid the COVID-19 pandemic and Larimer County's rising cases, the center will be moving online starting November 17th, according to Katrina Labee of The Collegian. Larimer County had over 400 new cases in the past seven days per 100,000 residents. In an Instagram post made by the Pride Resource Center, the center stated that it was impacting their staff and their members, and they want to help minimize the spread this way. To schedule an appointment with the Pride Resource Center, visit prideresourcecenter.colorado.edu. Chris Funk, a Colorado State University biodiversity expert, found that maintaining genetic variation is critical to allowing wildlife populations to survive, reproduce, and adapt to future environmental changes. Funk recently co-authored a paper with Marty Cardos, a geneticist at NOAA's Northwest Fisheries Science Center, according to Ann Manning of CSU Source News. Their paper is published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The paper started as a conversation between colleagues, but has now turned into first-hand research that is essential for understanding genetic varieties in wildlife. With more impacts of climate change coming to light, Funk and Cardos want others to realize how genetics can make an impact in animal breeding. For more information on Funk and Kardos paper, visit source.colostate.edu. This past summer, CSU announced a two-year commitment to developing new solutions to building resilience to infectious disease transmission between animals and people. The Anschutz Foundation gave CSU a $2 million gift earlier this year, and 1.4 million of that is going to be used towards the new research projects. With seven new projects using the 1.4 million, they will focus on nasal sprays, livestock protection, student health, and more. For more information on these projects, visit source.colostate.edu. CSU Rams football takes on Hawaii this weekend on Saturday at 8 p.m. Make sure to listen to Eliza Droder later on on the Rocky Mountain Review for all of CSU sports. Also, CSU students, remember fall break is next week. Classes return on November 29th, and the Rocky Mountain Review returns that Tuesday. Now on to local news. A fire broke out on Tuesday called the Kruger Rock Fire in Larimer County in Estes Park. After a tree fell onto a nearby power line, the fire broke out, and it is about 15% contained as of November 17th. On Tuesday night, a small firefighting plane, piloted by Mark Olson, crashed as it was fighting the fire. Olson told the ground crew that he was going to make one more pass over because the wind was bad, and shortly after, the ground crew heard the crash occur. According to the Coloradoan, it took over three hours to locate the wreck, and when it was found, pilot Mark Olson was pronounced dead on scene. His body was recovered yesterday morning. For more information on the status of the fire, visit larimer.org. Fort Collins City Council had a meeting on Tuesday where they revisited many topics such as budget allocation. According to Austria Kahn of the Collegian, Fort Collins will adopt a one year budget plan for 2022 rather than a two-year plan, as they usually do. The budget for police services has also been heavily discussed in previous city council meetings, and the public made comments on it on Tuesday. Fort Collins Chief of Police Jeff Swoboda told the Collegian, quote, "...there are a lot of things that our officers are expected to do that we don't want to be involved in, but people need a resource, and so just saying it shouldn't be anyone or abolishing the police, people are entitled to their opinions," but I'm not sure where we go with that conversation, end quote. Read more on this story at Collegian.com. More on Fort Collins' budget allocation. The city wants to spend between 100 and $300 million on capital projects. The Larimer County jail expansion has been an ongoing project, and the city wants to spend $24 million on it in 2022. Fort Collins wants to allocate $19 million to expand other criminal justice facilities. These facilities expand the reach of alternatives to incarceration programs. A Larimer County Behavioral Health Facility also starts construction in 2022, with the county spending $30.6 million on it. For more information on budget allocation in Fort Collins, visit fcgov.com. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Make sure to always tune in Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to My Campus and Local News. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM.
0: I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to COVID-19 Updates for November 18th. About 90% of students and employees at Colorado State University received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. CSU reports nearly 4,300 cases among students, staff, and faculty at the university. Larimer County and the Centers for Disease Control report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Masks are required in all public indoor spaces in the county, regardless of your vaccination status. Thurmer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you are not already. Wear masks, including in private indoor spaces, if members of another household are present. Be sure your mask has a snug fit, and consider wearing a KN95 mask. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited households. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Monitor your health and get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or symptoms. Larimer County reports over 44,000 cases of COVID-19 and 360 deaths. The county has a seven-day case rate of over 400 cases per 100,000 residents. Over 100 COVID-19 patients currently receive treatment in county hospitals, and intensive care units are at 97% capacity. The state of Colorado reports over 796,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 9,000 deaths. 3.6 million Coloradans are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and 8.3 million total vaccines were administered in the state. The CDC reports over 47.2 million cases of COVID-19 in the country and nearly 763,000 deaths nationally. Nearly 80% of people over the age of 12 received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, and nationwide community transmission is high. Information from today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the Centers for Disease Control. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back.
1: This is DJ Hurricane thanking you for listening to
2: KCSU Fort Collins.
3: We are here with you today from WKNC 88.1 FM Raleigh, broadcasting out of North Carolina State University. I'm DJ Whippopotamus.
1: And I'm Big Hoss, and we are excited to bring you the best of North Carolina music today. Up first, we have Zenso Fly and Austin Royale with No Worries.
3: Am I still crying over you? Tears won't stop falling down my face, dying over you. I can't
2: feel my face. I'm wheezing, screaming back at you. Say it isn't true. Say it isn't you say it isn't
3: you say this. You say this, you say this you I heard you got tell me Why you think I'm in over your soul you Where am I to trust going? Why huh? you i in Why is going What am I to so so I got a See no you Where am I to to Dirt and you through the gun The dream of you Raising with the sun So who else Is for me to trust So who else Is for me to lust You kept my heart And I gave a oath And now that I ran out of drugs When it slipped my wrist And I blessed some luck Don't even say it Ain't tryna face it Rather smoke a blunt With the pain I lace it Said I wouldn't face Girl I know a place Out done out of space We can go and play If you wanna lay Baby hit some shade I ain't hit a rage I'm just hit to age Yes you I brave, You my ace of spades Just been wanting new And that's just a so flake. I don't wanna Go, but don't want to stay. I would never quit, but ain't trying to wait. I don't want to go, but don't want to stay. I would never quit, but ain't trying to, I ain't
2: to wait, wait, wait. I don't want to go, fight, but don't want to stay. I would never quit, but ain't trying to wait. I don't want to go, but don't want to
3: stay. I would never quit. You got a new thing. I'm in the morning. Say a song for you, 20 years. Think about me in the morning. Where the master's watching. Tell me why you're thinking I'm in the morning. Say a song for you, 20 years. Think about me in the uh, i got gonna get me You can take a rest girl you can let your head down you give it to me if you really want it to you can take a rest girl you can let your head down can you give me softly won't you won't you Another love song. This is not, no, I'm I'm not, go this is not another name. love song, not another heartbreak Thoughts so of you in my head You really make my heart numb How much can my heart take? Just take me instead I just want you to know I don't wanna part ways, I want you right next to me And you said you had a long day Girl put on this lingerie, had to learn the hard way You for me or for oh. my demons Say she don't wanna see me and I don't blame love, her love I think that I need that Say the way that you treat me is causing me anger I'm so stuck in, in my ways I feel, feel lost. lost, that's okay And I don't give a f*** been here for days i'm just looking for a way out of the rain this is not another love song not another heartbreak the thoughts of you edge. in my head you really make my heart numb how much can my heart take just take me instead i just want you to know Together, But you left me to burn Now there's nothing left but ashes, ashes. You left never crashes, crashes. Heart broken I could pop a hundred But yeah. still never get past it i my no myself one No one knows Smoking on the yeah. wood oh. While I read about wealth oh. Never needed help, help. Oh. Running on my own time Trying oh. so at the party oh. She was blowing oh. my heart Now I'm in LA oh. I got nothing left to say like a star, so my water Perrier. yeah, yeah on yeah, under I'm her now, yeah, no more worth now Curving to a bus just so they can say hey This is not another love song, not another heartbreak Thoughts of you in my head You really make my heart numb How much can my heart take? Just take me instead I just want you to know 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 Again, I guess I'll never learn. We went to hell together, but you left me to burn. Now there's nothing left but ashes. True love never crashes. Heartbroken, I could pop a hundred pills and still never get past it.
2: came okay.
0: To hear more on the International Local Music Exchange in this episode, be sure to check it out online at kcsufm.com slash podcasts.
2: KCSU comes from Nosh NoCo, a locally owned food delivery
0: service from local restaurants that want to provide food delivery to the NoCo community. Learn more about the Noko Nosh app and how to order food at Nokonosh.com. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Kata Babcock, and you're listening to National News for November 18th. Over 100,000 drug overdose deaths were reported in the past year, making this the first time for overdose deaths to ever reach this point. According to Brian Mann at National Public Radio, this data comes from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and shows a 28.5% increase in deaths compared to last year. Fentanyl and methamphetamine are the primary substances leading to overdose in the U.S., according to Dr. Nora Volkov of the National Institute on Drug Abuse at the National Institutes of Health. Volkov said the surge in drug overdose deaths is likely to continue because of the introduction of more street drugs. Ann Milgram, who heads the Drug Enforcement Administration, said, quote, This year alone, DEA has seized enough fentanyl to provide every member of the U.S. population with a lethal dose. End quote. In response to the rise in overdose deaths, the White House asked for states to improve access to naloxone, which can reverse the effects of an overdose. Additionally, the president asked for Congress to approve new funding for treatment and rehabilitation programs for drug users to prevent more overdose deaths. One rioter who engaged in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol was sentenced to serve 41 months in prison, or about three and a half years. According to Jax Belode at the Associated Press, Jacob Chansley, who carried a spear and wore face paint, fur, and horns as he stormed into the Capitol, pleaded guilty on several charges, including obstructing an official proceeding, which is a felony. AP says that Chansley wasn't accused of violence, but acted as the person most easily associated with the riot due to him wearing a costume and bringing a weapon in. Following the insurrection, he bragged online about his actions in the U.S. Capitol. Prior to his sentencing, Chansley said, quote, I have no excuses, no excuses whatsoever. My behavior is indefensible, end quote. Chansley was formerly associated with QAnon, a baseless conspiracy group centered around the idea that former President Donald Trump was protecting the country from Democratic pedophiles. Since the riot, he has stopped believing in the conspiracy. At least 650 people are charged for crimes committed during the Capitol riots, with over 120 pleading guilty. Chancellor so far has been willing to serve time, although he has gone on food strikes since being in jail based on food quality. Chancellor's lawyer, Albert Watkins, said that Chancellor struggles with mental health problems, which may have worsen, been worsened due to Chancellor being held in solitary confinement to prevent COVID-19 spread in jails and prisons. Watkins also said that Chancellor is in need of mental health treatment, although he has not asked for any alternative to prison time. Thursday, closing arguments began in the federal trial against the white nationalists at the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally. According to Matt Morales and Steve Almazi, at CNN, plaintiffs in the case are seeking monetary compensation for emotional and physical injuries suffered as a result of the clashes in Charlottesville. Fourteen individuals and ten white supremacist organizations are involved in the lawsuit the trial came from. The Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville ended with the murder of 32-year-old Heather Heyer by James Field, who used his vehicle to kill Heyer. The violent clash happened between August 11th and 12th in 2017, and white supremacists chanted anti-Semitic phrases as they marched through the town before being confronted. Richard Spencer, one of the most well-known of the individuals involved in the lawsuit, is representing himself in court. Court began at 9 in the morning Eastern Time Thursday, and the jury is expected to begin deliberations this Friday. The Biden administration, days after saying that the U.S. was committed to slow climate change, sold new leases to oil and gas companies on federal lands. According to Nathan Rott from National Public Radio, the Interior Department recently was responsible for one of the largest lease sales to oil and gas companies in U.S. history. 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico were auctioned Wednesday, with ExxonMobil Corporation placing bids on 1.7 million acres. Earth Justice Attorney Drew Caputo said of the sale, quote, It is the most significant action the administration will have taken on oil and gas development, and it goes in the wrong direction. According to NPR, around a quarter of all greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. are from fossil fuel extractions on federally owned public land. In response to environmentalist complaints, the Biden administration said they had very little choice in selling the land for natural gas use. The Biden administration planned for a temporary end to new oil and gas leasing on public lands and waters, but over a dozen Republican-majority states sued the administration to challenge the temporary pause. After a federal judge in Louisiana sided with those states, the Biden administration appealed that decision. Until the repeal is heard in the courts, Hillary Tompkins, who previously served as a solicitor for the Interior Department, said, quote, They can be held in contempt if they don't comply with the court order, and so I think they're looking at the litigation risk and making a judgment call, end quote. That's all for national news. Now for Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler.
4: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the seventh installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Now I want to start off this episode by sending my congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers for their World Series win. Although it pains me to see my prediction be completely wrong, the Dodgers fought hard against the Red Hot Rays and really deserved to win that championship. Anyway, onto this week's episode. Now this week is kind of fun because I'm going to be going on a deep dive into the MLB's rulebook in an attempt to explain some of the weirdest rules that the MLB has seen in it's pretty long career. I'll start off by talking about the strangest rules in baseball and trying to explain the idea behind them, what they actually mean in a game situation, and so on. So, let's get into it. First off, I want to talk about box. Now, box are one of those things that I'm not too sure many baseball fans truly understand. I mean, I know that I didn't much before I started to research the topic. All I really knew was that when runners are on base, a pitcher basically has to stay perfectly still. They can't move their shoulders when trying to look at a runner, and you have to step off the pitching rubber before attempting to make a throw to any base. I understand the point of the rule as well. Because any sort of unfair advantage that the pitcher would have means that the players, means that the base runners would be picked off way more than they do. Now I know from experience that getting back to a base, even if you're 4 feet away from it, when the pitcher throws an 85 mile per hour strike to the first baseman, it's really difficult to get back. So having any sort of advantage would mean runners wouldn't have any chance. I mean, the entire rules in place basically said that the pitchers can't deceive the runners at least as much as they used to be able to. Now, one common play that pitchers used to do a lot before it was outlawed in 2013 was to fake a throw to third base, which would in turn make the runner on first base kind of relax, and then the pitcher would immediately whip around and throw to first base to try and catch that runner off guard. Now, if you think about it, (laughs) It's a really genius plan, especially if the base runners have no idea what's going on. And honestly, luckily, yeah, it was outlawed. Now a bot could be called if a pitcher makes any motion that is naturally associated with their pitching delivery, but they don't actually end up throwing the ball to the plate. So let's say that they're in the windup, they come set, and then start to make a motion towards the plate, they can't just all of a sudden throw to a different base. Even if a pitcher goes through their pitching motion to throw to 1st, or 3rd, or 2nd, it's still a bock. So in other words, a pitcher must step directly to a base with their foot off the rubber to make any throw. Also if the pitcher picks up his leg that isn't on the rubber, he must deliver a pitch to the plate, or 2nd base if he steps off of the rubber. Bocks aren't always beneficial to the runners, however, and often it's a rule for the hitters. For example, if a pitcher tries to quick pitch, or doesn't come to a complete stop between the time he enters the set position, and then eventually delivers the ball, it becomes a no pitch, and sometimes even called an automatic ball. Even if the pitcher drops the ball, unintentionally or not, it's considered a balk. And of course, if a pitcher intentionally delays the game by throwing to an unoccupied base, or not touching the pitching rubber or something along those lines, well, you guessed it, that's also a balk. Like, if you think about it, there's a lot a pitcher has to really think about every pitch that they throw to make sure that they don't balk.
1: Now, let's
4: get into one of the weirdest and probably most controversial rules in baseball to this day. That, of course, would be the infield fly rule. Now, this rule is really strange because of the situation you have to be in in order to make it happen. Basically, the rule is in effect when there is either one or no outs, and there has to be runners on either first and second base or first, second, and third base. Then, the batted ball has to be a pop fly in fair territory. It can't be a line drive or a pop-up from an attempted bunt. The pop-up has to also be able to be caught by a fielder with ordinary effort, or a routine play as we describe it. But even further than that, the pop-up has to be in the vicinity of the infield. So if a player is in the infield, including a pitcher, catcher, or sometimes even an outfielder playing in, then the rule is in effect. So, So already you can tell that there's a lot that has to go right in order for this rule to be in effect. Finally if it seems apparent that the fly ball will land in the infield in this situation, an umpire will immediately call the infield fly rule, often before the ball is even caught. At this point the batter is out regardless of the ball being caught or not. So basically if the infield fly rule is called and the player drops the ball it doesn't matter it still counts as an out, which is a kind of weird part about the rule. Sometimes, if the fly ball is near the foul line too, an umpire will call an infield fly rule if fair. Now, if the ball lands, a runner can take off at their own risk. Otherwise, they can try and tag up like any other regular pop fly, but since it's in the infield, it's pretty rare to see it. One strange caveat to the rule is even if a pop fly is called for the infield fly rule and ends up landing in foul territory completely untouched, then it's treated as a foul ball, and it just turns out to be a strike on the batter, which makes sense. Now, this rule has to be put in place because before the rule was established, players would intentionally drop these pop flies in the infield to quickly throw to second, and then have whoever's on second quickly throw it to first in order to get a double play. And after researching a bunch of these rules, I mean, you can kind of tell just how crafty baseball players can really be. The next rule we'll talk about has to do with obstruction. Now this is another really strange and incredibly complex rule that has again been extremely controversial as more pieces were added to it as time went on. For example, it was an obstruction call that caused the St. Louis Cardinals to walk off game three of the World Series against the Boston Red Sox all the way back in 2013. Now, if you've never seen that video, It might be one of the wildest and most confusing 15 seconds of any World Series games. Now, basically, the play started off with a fielder's choice hit by John Jay to the second baseman, Dustin Pedroia, at the time, who threw it to the catcher to get the first out. Now, as this was happening, the Cardinals' first baseman, Alan Craig, was rounding second, going to third, So the Boston Red Sox catcher ended up picking up the ball after he tagged the runner out at the plate in the first place to third base, but the throw was wild. As Alan Craig tried to round third base because he saw the bad throw, he ended up tripping on the Red Sox third baseman Will Middlebrooks as he dove for the throw from the catcher. The left fielder ended up picking up the ball and firing it home, where the catcher tagged out Alan Craig. Now, he was technically out at the time, but since he tripped over the diving third baseman it was called interference. So the run counted and the Cardinals ended up walking off game 3 in maybe the strangest fashion you could have imagined. So let's break that obstruction rule down a bit. Obstruction is an act by a fielder who is not in possession of the ball, or is in the process of fielding the ball that impedes the base runner's progress. So in the case of World Series Game 3. Will Middlebrooks never technically had the ball, but was in the process of getting it. So if Middlebrooks hadn't have dove in order to try and stop the throw, no call probably would have been made. The obstruction call is finalized by the umpire ruling the ball dead, meaning that the ball is out of play and any play resulting in it doesn't count. The same thing happens with a ground rule double. A ball is ruled dead if it goes over the fence after hitting the ground in play which we'll kind of touch on a little bit later too. Therefore, an umpire is allowed to put runners on the bases as he sees fit, so since Craig was rounding third base by the time the obstruction call happened, the umpire gave him home plate as well. Kinda weird, right? Now, as I was doing more and more research, I came up with a list of weird rules that don't really need much explanation, but just seem so strange and frankly hilarious that i felt necessary to put them in for starters let's say that there's a runner on third that is trying to steal home plate let's say the pitcher sees the runner take off from third base and throws a pitch towards home now if the pitch is called a strike by the umpire and it hits the runner trying to steal home the runner's out now here's the strange part of it If there are 2 outs in the inning and 2 strikes on the batter and the throw from the pitcher home to try and get the runner is actually in the strike zone, the batter is called out on strikes and the run doesn't score if the ball ends up hitting the runner. However, if there are less than 2 outs and 2 strikes on the batter, the batter is still called out if the pitch is in the strike zone, but even if the runner gets hit by the ball he still scores. So since the ball just hits the runner and the runner isn't tagged out in this situation, the ball is just considered a dead ball, even though it crossed the strike zone and struck out the batter. (laughs) Now I don't know if I've ever seen this in the MLB and frankly I don't know if it's ever happened, but I would love to see that. (laughs) I mean it obviously happened at least once or they wouldn't have a rule on it. Now I feel there's a bit of an unwritten rule in here somewhere. And just having courtesy towards the batter. I mean, could you imagine if your teammate on third stole the plate and was safe, but you were called out on strikes at the same time because the pitch still entered the strike zone? I I mean, would you be happy or would you be mad? I mean, yes, your team is now up by another run, but also he just made you strike out. I mean, you didn't even have a chance to swing at the strike. <laughs> like, this is so crazy to me that this actually probably happened at some point. Now, I want you to think back to those times when you played baseball or read a baseball game and caught a ball with your baseball hat or shirt or whatever, whether it be a foul ball or, or a throw or whatever. Now, if you tried to do that during a game, at least in the MLB, you would be heavily penalized for doing it. If you touch the ball with your hat or a catcher's mask or really any part of your uniform, as MLB described it, detached from the proper place on your person, all runners, including the batter, advance 3 bases. Now if it's a thrown ball, all runners would advance 2 bases. Now I don't quite remember that from the sandlot, but <laughs> it's a kind of funny rule to have. Now earlier we talked about a dead ball, and how a ground rule double affects the play, but we didn't talk about what happens if a ball is deflected off of a player and leaves the field of play. Now the rule behind this says that if a fielder deflects a ball into the stands, fair or foul, it counts as a home run. Now, if the deflection of the ball happens within 250 feet or closer to home plate, it's just considered a ground rule double. And it's funny because this actually happens a lot more than you think it would. Back in 1993, the rule was used when a deep fly ball hit off the head of Rangers right fielder Jose Canseco's head and went over the right field wall. The ball never technically hit the ground, just off the bat, off Canseco's head, and over the wall. (laughs) Home run. Even more recently than that, Tigers left fielder Mike Matuk tried to save a hit that hit off of the top of the wall in left field. Now as he went up to try and grab it, it hit off of his hand and then went over the wall. Now, the same rules in effect, if a fielder loses their glove with the ball in it if they try to rob a home run. I remember this pretty vividly when Mike Talkman on the Rockies went up to try and rob a home run, and the home run ball ended up taking off his glove and going over the wall. And it still counted as a home run because, well, the ball went over the wall. And finally, one of my favorite, yet still really strange rules is that if the ball gets stuck in either the catcher's mask, or umpire's mask, or really any part of their equipment, like Yadier Molina's chest protector, the runner gets to advance a base. Now, I love this rule just because of how random it is. I mean, oftentimes, it's not even really the catcher's fault. The weird part about the rule is, if a ball gets stuck in the catcher's mask after a foul tip, it doesn't count as a catch. The catcher has to catch the foul tip in his glove if it's going to count as a strike. And that just kind of seems a bit strange to me. I mean, if a catcher were to catch a foul tip in the grid of his mask or his chest protector or something like that, I feel like that should count. But I guess that kind of goes back to that rule that we mentioned a little bit earlier where, you know, catching the ball with any part of your uniform doesn't count. That's just kind of weird. I don't know. But anyway, I hope that I helped to clear up some confusion on some of the weird and complex rules in the MLB that we still have to deal with today. And it got me thinking about some of the apparent baseball rules that aren't written in any rulebook that you can find. So in next episode, I'm going to be talking about the unwritten rules of baseball and going through some of the meaning behind the sportsmanship that goes behind these rules. Thank you for listening. <laughs>
3: You're listening to KCSU4Collins at 90.5 FM. Tune in to
1: What's up guys? It's Hannah Conda. Listen to my show 1-3 p.m. on Tuesdays.
2: My name is Eliza Drotard. This is your RMR Sports Report. In CSU football news, the team lost to Air Force 35-21 on Saturday. Their next match is this Saturday against Hawaii in Hawaii. In women's basketball, the team is starting off their season 2-0 and with a win against UNC. Their matches this week are against Oral Roberts and University of Denver. In men's basketball, the team started their season 3-0 with wins against Arkansas Pine Bluff and Peru State. Their next match is against Bradley this Friday. In women's volleyball, the team won their final home game of the season against Fresno State, continuing their streak of being undefeated at home during conference play. Their next match is Thursday against Utah State. In cross-country, both teams qualified for the NCAA Mountain Regional. The women placed 4th and the men placed ninth. They will be competing in the NCAA Championship in Florida this Saturday. In Women's Swim and Dive, the team has gone undefeated going 13-0. They will be competing at the Phil Hansen Invite this weekend. If you are interested in student tickets for football, basketball, volleyball, and more, go to csuram.evenue.net. My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report.
0: I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Thursday on the Rocky Mountain Review. A collective called Constitution DAO raised $27 million to bid for a copy of the U.S. Constitution. According to Jacob Kastronecki's at The Verge, DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and Constitution DAO is trying to buy one of the 13 original copies of the official edition of the Constitution. These documents were the final drafts created for the Constitutional Congress at the time of U.S. independence. Wednesday, the group raised $10 million in a single day towards the effort. DAOs generally serve as cryptocurrency cooperatives, meaning they would all have some level of ownership over any documents purchased by it, similarly to have cooperative businesses employees have equal stake in the business. If the group successfully purchases the document, they will hold a vote to decide what the group will do with it. If they fail to win the bid for the document, the software is already programmed to return the money to each contributor, but they will not be refunded processing fees. Apple is planning to roll out self-service repair part sales for their devices. According to Rachel Treisman at National Public Radio, this new program comes after the introduction of right-to-repair legislation across the country, which blocks Apple and other companies from making it more difficult for customers to repair their own devices. This would expand access to repair parts and potentially reduce the number of new devices users will buy in a number of years. Apple's self-service repair is expected to become available in early 2022 for U.S. customers and then expand throughout the year to other nations. The program will include iPhone 12 and 13 models and then will introduce repair options for Mac computers. The news release clarifies that self-service repair should only be done by people familiar with and comfortable with repairing their own devices. But providing people with access to genuine Apple parts still opens the door to customers interest in learning this skill. The release says, quote, for the vast majority of customers, visiting a professional repair provider with certified technicians who use genuine Apple parts is the safest and most reliable way to get a repair, end quote. Twitter began rolling out new warning labels for misinformation on the platform earlier this week. According to Barbara Ortute at the Associated Press, the redesigned labels were launched with the intention of making misinformation warnings more noticeable for the three content types that Twitter labels. These misinformation categories include manipulated media, election or voting misinformation, and COVID-19 misinformation. Manipulated media refers to content that's been altered with the intention of deceiving an audience in a way that could cause legitimate harm. The previous version of Twitter's misinformation label used the site's color scheme, allowing it to blend into the app or website. The new version uses orange and red, which contrast much more than the original blue and gray. The red and orange labels are put on misleading tweets, while more intense labels will be applied to tweets including serious misinformation. These tweets will not have a reply or retweet option, and will include a red exclamation mark. That's all for tech news highlights. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. We'll be right back with the weather. Today was cool and partly cloudy with a high of 48 and a low of 32. Friday, you can expect temperatures to rise with a high of 61 and a low of 34. Moving into this weekend, you can expect highs in the mid-50s and the lows in the early 30s with partly cloudy skies. Monday will be sunny with a high of 62 and a low of 37, and Tuesday will be mostly cloudy with a high of 63 and a low of 32. The Rocky Mountain Review will be taking the week off for fall break. They catch back up with us in two weeks. I'm Coda Babcock, and information comes from the Weather Channel.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme
0: music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Samuel Bailey, Ben Haney, Ben Krueger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie.
1: And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you.
0: And with that, we'll see you next time.